Well, welcome back to uh, another edition of the Boilers Extra podcast. Uh, as uh, the Boilermakers coming off the off week, um, which was probably well timed for them to get some guys healthy. Uh, now they now they're getting ready to face uh, Iowa on Saturday, the second ranked Hawkeyes after their uh, thrilling win over Penn State uh, last week at Kinnick Stadium. And joining us uh, today to talk about Iowa, the Big Ten, and whatever else we can think of, Scott Dockerman of The Athletic does a great job covering the Hawkeyes, has done a great job covering the Hawkeyes for many decades, um, very knowledgeable, uh, and uh, he's worth he's worth your time uh, to, to get all things Iowa. Was that a good enough build-up, Scott? <laughs> yeah, the check's in the mail. Hopefully it doesn't bounce, though. But, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, thanks for having me on, Mike. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, and, and I certainly have saluted you over the years. <laughs> Yeoman's work uh, covering the Boilers and the Big Ten. Right. All right, well, I mean, last week uh, the big win over Penn State didn't look good till Clifford goes out, and I'm sure you've you've heard it, you've talked about it, Um uh, just how much did that kind of change last week's game when he went out and uh, all of a sudden you had a backup quarterback that had yeah, a, a deer in the headlights? I think it had a major impact, yeah. no question. Uh, but I also kind of go back to Iowa's defense. I think teams do a good job of, of preparing themselves against what Iowa does defensively simply because uh, they don't change many of their defensive looks. So the script is always pretty good for most teams. I think Maryland is, you know, you look at Maryland and, and Tonga Viola was uh, 11 of 14 for 100 plus yards in the first quarter and they were leading Iowa 7 to 3. So I think if uh, he would have gotten hurt then, then everybody would have said, oh, well, they would have beaten Iowa too. But I think in some ways, what this, the tempo was pretty high for, for Penn State, but Iowa was starting to catch up to it a little bit. And, uh, it was 17 to 3 when he, well, he, he was 14 to 3 when he left, 17 to 3 because they kicked the field goal right afterwards. And then Iowa went 75 yards and scored a touchdown. So it was really 17 to 10 when, uh, the, the back quarterback entered the field. So I look at the way Iowa was able to kind of, uh, you know, they, they do that from time to time, and then they catch up to the opponent, and uh, usually it kind of clogs it up. And, and I know, uh, you know, Sean Clifford and his last two full quarters against Iowa, the fourth quarter last year and first quarter this year, he threw four interceptions. So I'm not so sure that, that he would have gone on to a 48-point performance or anything against Iowa. I think it would have been, you know, they might have won. And, and at that point, they were in control. But I also, I've also seen a lot of games involving whether it's Iowa or Iowa and Penn State, where it's been a, a ten-point game one way or the other, and then it flips the other way. Right. The way the way I viewed it is that yes, Iowa or Penn State seemed to be in control when he went when he went down. But as you mentioned, Iowa eventually solved Penn State's defense. And if Penn State was going to win that game without Clifford, its defense needed to step up and play. And you don't know for sure how many points they would have scored after the fact. Maybe they, maybe they would not have scored at all. Uh, but I think you credit Iowa for what they did on the offensive end to, to kind of get the game back on their side. And then, and obviously that, that, the backup quarterback and the, you know, 10 million and one false starts that they had, uh, in that, in that environment, uh, obviously played a role in that. So, uh, is that the most false starts that you that you've seen in a game? 
absolutely. <laughs> I, there were eight, and it felt like it felt like a million and one, like you said. I just wasn't. I mean, you saw a, a quarterback who was not prepared for that situation. And I'll, I'll say this for for Penn State. I mean, you've got to get your quarterback ready. I mean, in any environment, and Iowa's got to do the same thing. And Lord knows, Penn, uh, Purdue's had two quarterbacks. It seems like every year, uh, forever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like who's going to start this week? Well, we don't know yet. <laughs> Game day comes around, and there's a, there's your quarterback. But uh, gosh, that's going. Well, that's like the last three coaches have kind of felt like that. But. The, uh, you know, so to have somebody come in and look that poorly, that, that's really on James Franklin and his staff for not getting them ready. And his voice apparently wasn't loud, which is part of the reason why the, the fall starts took place. But, you know, the game's the game. And I've seen Iowa lose with a backup quarterback going in and they were 9-0 and at the time. And they had a freshman go in and he had the same type of look and lose to Northwestern when you're number four in the country and 9-0. and So, um, there's, there's probably, I've heard probably more excuses on the Penn State side of losing this game than I probably have in any game I've ever covered. In my right. Life. It is a popular narrative, but as you say, the game is the game and it's over and it's done and, uh, Iowa got the win. Penn State got the loss. Now, an interesting uh, stat came my way Monday, or an interesting nugget came my way Monday, and I can't exactly pinpoint where I got it, but I heard that Iowa's played six games. In five of those games, the the opposing team has changed quarterbacks either for injury or performance. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's true. Um, and, at, and in every Power 5 team, uh, opponent. Uh, you look at Michael Penix came in and right. threw two pick sixes, had a horrible game. Uh, Brock Purdy left the game in the fourth quarter and that was a little strange. It was 27 to 10 Iowa and he's a really good quarterback and that's a good team in Iowa State. Um, then I think they just kind of waved the white flag and then the backup came in and had a pretty nice little run. They, they only lost by 10 but, um, and then Maryland, um, talked Viola after throwing Five, yeah, it was five for him and one more after that. And then, and then the other day when Clifford got hit pretty hard by, uh, Jack Campbell. And, and then so, and I want to say, I think Kent State might have been the other one where the quarterback left, um, late in the fourth quarter or something. So yeah, they, uh, these quarterbacks were leaving the game and it's not all because of the injury. All the other days certainly was. Right. So I mean, what, what's, what's Iowa defense doing to kind of, frustrate them and I know turnovers are a huge part of it but just what what are you seeing Iowa's defense is doing to these quarterbacks to to throw them off whatever path that they they think that they're going to get on be on in that game yeah that's what is interesting about the way Iowa plays and this is kind of what has started it is they they do play you know a quarter quarters based zone defense they don't deviate a whole lot although they do change coverages now and then they almost always run two deep zones so it's more left right versus strong free uh they have really good underneath coverage but you know up front uh they have four down linemen almost exclusively they're two gap defenders so they're not really their first steps lateral it's more based on stopping the run first and then getting upfield but the the back end all five of those guys uh that started have, have been starting since uh 
at least 2019 for some of them. And, and, and Matt Hankins case, uh, <laughs> he got thrown into the loop when he was a true freshman against Purdue, uh, when, uh, Mahogany yeah. went crazy and had like four or five long passes in a row. And they, they benched two guys who were, I think, in the NFL, uh, to, because they were getting beat. And so he got thrown into the fire there. And, uh, so, they, they, they're a veteran unit. They play their positions well. They know where to be. They're, they've got underrated athletic ability. And then the defensive line has been able to make, get some pressure and, and they're pretty young still along the line and, and they got a little long ways to go, but they're pretty good. And so the fact that they don't stack eight in the box doesn't give a lot of room for the pass routes to, to really take shape. They, they get some decent pressure and, and they're always in the right spot. They, they play that zone. So all their eyes are on the quarterback. So it's, it's, been interesting to watch over the years and uh you know kind of going into this game in particular that the only coach the coach that's caused them the most problems by far and away is jeff brom because he in most coaches will take a a a look at hey we hit on this big play we're going to come back to it at some point whereas jeff brom's like no, no, we're going to come back to it right now, and then we're going to do it again until you prove you can stop it. And like we saw with Mahogany, and we've seen him over there and at, at times uh, when there was a big, uh, was it was 2018, right. uh, Riley Moss, who's a senior cornerback, got just annihilated in that game. And, uh, and, and so that's been the most fascinating schematic duel I've seen over the years is Purdue-Iowa because Iowa's defense is built to stop the run. Well, Purdue doesn't really run. Well, then, and then they're, they're built to stop the big play. Well, Purdue's like, okay, well, you stopped it this time, but not next time. And, and voila, you've got kind of a styles make fights there. So that, that's to me been very fascinating to watch. Well, uh, Jeff, Jeff mentioned this week because obviously his record against Iowa is brought up and, how they've hit the big pass plays. He says that I was changed that they don't allow that anymore. That they, they, they've, whatever they've done, they, they just will not allow that kind of play to go over their heads anymore. And I'm sure there are situations where it, it has happened, but have you seen a change or did what Brom did those first couple of years force their defense to, to whether it's slightly adjust or major adjust? I mean, have you, did you see a change after those first couple of years? Yeah, I did, and uh, and I think a lot of that is actually a lot more veteran savvy than they were back then. Uh, like the 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 first year that I, I referenced, there they had Josh Jackson on one side; he was an All American corner, first team All American. The other side, they were just kind of cycling through guys who eventually got to be good, but weren't good then. And that's kind of why you know they were able to pick them apart. The second year, Iowa had two true freshmen out there and so they were easy to pick apart they didn't stay deep now they they're, they're more disciplined they're more veterans so they're able to to not let balls go over their head the way they did and those two games in particular i mean last year's was wasn't quite the same type of strategy i, mean, I think david bell just completely took over more than anything else but but uh you know there was just uh you know in, in the past they i think their youth kind of got them and I, I read what, what Jeff had to say, and, he, and he's right, because uh, they did some reevaluation as a secondary. And, and I think you see the corners are willing to go deeper a lot of times than maybe in the past. There, you, know, you could have found that post-corner zone or the go zone that sometimes could beat the safety coming over and uh, disrupt the, the corner. But I think right now they're, they're just a little bit more savvy and 
and dropping back. And if they see the go route, they're going to go with it as opposed to the past where, you know, it might have fallen in that no man's land. And, and that's where they got burned a few times. And when you have young players, they had a tendency to, to get, to get torched, which certainly did. I mean, Riley Moss, who's leading the country right now in interceptions, he won't play. He's got a, uh, looks like a sprained knee, but, um, uh, he got beat for three touchdowns in 2018 at, at West Lafayette, and um, it, it took him a long time to kind of recover from that mentally, as much as anything. So uh, that was uh, it, it's been it's been fascinating to see how maybe only Wisconsin is probably the only other team that I think Iowa has adapted more defensively over the years than Purdue. Visiting with Scott Dockerman of the Athletic, talking about uh, Saturday's matchup with Purdue and Iowa. Um, now, are any of these guys in the secondary, are they former receivers? Because the number of takeaways that they've, <laughs> they've gathered in the first six games and the number of interceptions, and it looks like they're running the route. Like, it doesn't look like they're defending. It looks like they're running the, the pass route for the wide receiver and they just go pick it off. I mean, have you, have you, have you seen any, see anything like this where the turnovers are just coming in bunches and bunches and bunches? Not like this. Yeah. They, they've been good. I mean, they, they, since 2017, they have 80 interceptions, which is by far the most among the country. I think it's 68 is number two. So they, they do a good job of taking the ball away through the air. And a lot of that is they're, they're out, you know, have an outstanding coach in Phil Parker who, uh, has them in position in the right way to, to be there. And then they've had really good pass rushers too that have really impacted and disrupted the, the, the throwing. So, uh, but this is a different level and, and they do have, they have better than average ball skills. And we, we see that a lot with defensive backs that the part of the reason why they're there is because they can't catch the way <laughs> the receivers do. <laughs> but in this case, uh, and and what's also doubly interesting is none of these guys were like four or five star guys. I mean, you have uh, uh, Riley Moss, who had referenced before. He was a two star uh, athlete in Central Iowa, a pretty good player, or, you know, really good athlete. But nobody really looked at him. Matt Hankins is probably the he and Dane Belton, who are both three stars. They're probably most acclaimed, but they were primarily defensive backs. One in Florida, one in Texas, and then Jack Kerner, that one of their three-year starter at safety, is um, he. He was a walk-on um, from Central Iowa, and then uh, and then uh, the the other one, Kayvon Merriweather, who's really been a guy who's who's come a long way. Uh, he was a he was going to go play basketball. He was a two-star from Detroit. Really didn't play much football at all, but um, you know Phil Parker's got a lot of ties over there, recruiting wise, and was able to uh, you know hey, so a couple of people were like, hey, you know this guy might go play basketball, but I think he's a good athlete and can play football for you. So he really honed in on him and, and and turned him into a really good safety. So their ball skills part of it is I think just that they work on it so much and they really value it. And uh, but but as we know, we we've seen a lot of stone-handed defenders, and, and Iowa's had its share over the years too. Yeah, yeah. As you said, there's a reason why they're they're playing defensive backs <laughs> in that position. Um, yeah. Now on the offensive sides, uh, you know, the quarterback last year made his first career start against Purdue. Uh, obviously, he's made strides. He's made a lot of improvements. Uh, but kind of where how do you, how do you evaluate his game right now? Uh, where you know after. 
you know, after last year, after, you know, they got off to the slow start, they were 0-2, and then they finished with a winning streak. But uh, how, how has he kind of gathered himself, and um, how has he played so far this year? I would say he's he's been decent um, sometimes, and, and really he's he's stacked good games on top of good games. And I thought his best game was Maryland. I thought his previous best game was the week before against Colorado State. And, and last week against Purdue, save for the first quarter, which he was dreadful, uh, he was pretty good after that. So overall, I, I think he's moving in the right direction. Uh, he's tall. He can't run. That's kind of a problem. <laughs> but he's uh, – but he's a you know really good leader, kind of uh, you know the guy that walks in the room, everybody knows who he is. Type, uh, everybody responds to him. He's got a really good arm. Uh, last year, his problem was a lot of inaccuracy, and, and what you know, I, I consider it more of an excuse than a factor. But a lot of it was, hey, this guy didn't have the off season to work with his receivers. Uh, they were working out at a park when they could because of COVID, and, and then he finally got a chance, you know, not till late September before they could really get out on the field and start doing this, and that's part of it. Well, I, I kind of agree. I think he was also just not real great at it. And fundamentally, he's in the offseason. He's worked with a couple of, you know, worked with a quarterback uh, guru in, in Virginia and, and done a nice job there, and you could see the strides. Uh, Iowa doesn't have isn't blessed at really at wide receiver right now. They're probably their most consistent guys are true freshmen. Um, they've, they've really stepped up, uh, Keegan Johnson and Arlen Bruce. And, uh, you know, Tyrone Tracy, uh, they really thought would be in that position, you know, from Indianapolis. Um, he's done some nice things from time to time, but hasn't really developed into that number one receiver that they expected him to. And, and so I, I don't know if there's going to be some reevaluation of his role or maybe now he's playing more of the X receiver on the line of scrimmage. Maybe they need to move him off the line of scrimmage. That's what I would recommend. Uh, but by and large, I think Spencer is if I was to give him a grade and next week's their buy, I'd probably grade him at a at a B minus. Um, you know, pretty good. I'm not gonna recommend him for all Big Ten, but I think he's good enough to where people should uh that that he's not a complete detriment. And at times he was that last year. Right. And the and the running game, uh I mean good offensive line, good center. Uh now I see that there's a campaign for him for the Heisman. Uh which is fine. <laughs> It's about time we get an offensive lineman in the running, at least getting to New York and having him sitting in, sitting in the chair. But uh, I know they had some holes to fill in that offensive line as well. They seem to have uh, adapted well. And then, uh, obviously, Tyler Goodson's having a good year uh, as the running back. Yeah, that's kind of the – I, I think they're still gelling up front. Last year they did, they lost, you know, three of their starters. They were all, you know, ones at the NFL, or two were in the NFL, and, and, uh, and, you know, another one had to retire because of injuries, and it really hurt them. Um, they were, they ran the ball with great effectiveness last year, as better, as good as they had in probably the decade. And this year it's been a little more inconsistent, and it's not because of Tyler Goodson. He's been really good. He's, he's, been a, a tremendous running back for them in every facet, but they really need more um, more consistency. They're they just aren't getting great push 
a lot of the time. And, and, uh, you know, they've got a few question marks. I think guard is still trying to settle in. They had some injuries early on and they have a true freshman who's starting and, 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 and their senior there, uh, broke his foot bailing hay in the offseason. So what an Iowa way to do things, right? <laughs> <laughs> but he's finally back and he's playing a little bit better. And, and then on the outside, they've got a, uh, a retro freshman, a left tackle, a, a sophomore, a right tackle. Um, they've been okay. I would say, you know, the, the left tackle, Basin Richmond, will be a very good player. Um, Dick DeYoung has been decent. I do think it's a concern for for me, and I'm sure it is for Iowa this week, uh, going up against uh, number five, who I'm sure that they and the rest of the Big Ten West will be thrilled when he enters the draft, uh, hopefully the day <laughs> after the season, right? Yeah, I think that's that's the plan. But he's uh, he doesn't have the stats. George Karloff just doesn't have no. the stats that you would uh, you would associate. That that's because he's getting doubled and triple teamed a lot. I mean, he's getting held, uh, and he, they're not get they're not getting holding calls. On him, I mean, Purdue's only been Purdue's only drawn one holding call this year, in in its five games, which I found a little bit amazing. Uh, but the rest of the defensive line has played pretty well, and they they rotate tackles. Uh, they need more production out of the other side of the of the defensive line. But George is George commands so much attention, and he is. And if you watch if you watch film long enough, you see where he does disrupt uh, the quarterback whether it be with a hurry or a pressure and, and stuff like that. So he, he's still having an impact uh, on the game. But, yes, that will be a, a fascinating matchup on, on Saturday to see if Purdue's defensive line can can continue to dis- disrupt things uh, with, with an opponent's offensive line. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I like, uh, you know, I, I've been looking at Purdue's statistics, and they jump off the page in so many areas. And then I start to wonder, okay, is this a product of, Hey, this is a really good team that's kind of under the radar, or is this a product of some of the the opponents that Purdue has faced? And and so I, I'm trying to figure out <laughs> which area it is, and because Iowa's offense has not been really good, we've noticed that. And um, so you know, can Iowa move the ball on Purdue? Well, you know, they a lot of times they're one on one blocking on the edge, and that could be a dangerous situation. Maybe George Karloff just gets his stats this week, uh, right. you know, that type of thing, and. And so I, you know, there, there are some concerns on the offensive side of the ball for the Hawkeyes. And, and if they don't move the ball effectively, if they turn it over, if they just, you know, get stagnant, uh, I mean, this, that is a fear that you have sometimes with the Hawkeyes. And I think, uh, you know, everybody kind of recognizes it from time to time. It did happen against Kent State and Colorado State. They were trailing in the second half. So I think there's some, you know, once in a while there's some, um, you know, question marks as to how much better are they going to get, and are they getting better at all? Well, I mean, when you talk about who Purdue has played, I mean, obviously the UConn game is is one that should not be considered in any realm. But you know, they they um, they did hold Oregon State out of the end zone late in the game, and that's a team that went on to to beat USC at USC. Illinois is not a not a great offensive team. They haven't scored a touchdown in their last two Big Ten games. You know, Minnesota, you know, Tanner Morgan's not having the kind of year that we're used to to seeing him. So they have not played um, the juggernauts offensively of, of the Big Ten yet. And they, you know, Notre Dame hit them with some big plays to score touchdowns. But 
as as someone who has watched Purdue's defense the last couple years, this version is so much better than last year, and they are an improved uh, group. Um, some of the numbers do match that up, but then, as you say, you you, you do kind of wonder who they're doing it against. But it is an improved group, and I, I would expect them to continue to play well uh, as as this season goes on, regardless of of who they're playing. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, I did want to add, did, uh, at, at Tuesday's press conference, did, uh, Kurt Ferentz pull a Bill Belichick and say, we're on to Purdue, and that's all he would say? Or, did, <laughs> trying to put the Penn State game behind them? Or, do you anticipate some sort of hangover lingering effect from the Penn State game to, to kind of filter, filter into this week? No, I don't. Um, gathered from him and the players too, they remember last year. And, uh, you know, there's, although he did say it felt like three years ago, and I do agree with them, it just seems like a, a fog last year in general, <laughs> but that first game in, uh, West Lafayette, which was to me one of the, one of the two or three great surreal scenes pulling up to, to outside of Ross Aid Stadium, just a gorgeous fall afternoon, you know, fall foliage, it's, you know, high fifties, low sixties temperatures and, and nobody's there. And, and so he, uh, he said it felt like three years ago. I agree with him on that. But, but the fact is Purdue's beaten Iowa three out of the last four years and they beat them last year, uh, to start the season. And they don't, they don't feel overly good about that. And they know how poorly they played at times. Uh, so I think in some ways it's, uh, you know, it's probably the right team at the right time. Um, if it would have been, you know, a different team. But let's say they would have flipped and played somebody like Wisconsin, and they may maybe a difference just because of well, you know, motivational purposes or style of play. But I think in Iowa's case, there's they're certainly not overlooking Purdue. You know, maybe had they won last year, that might have been a different story. But I don't see the hangover effect with this team. They, they do have a maturity about them that I don't think. You know, they may not play well. They may struggle, but it's not because of their mental outlook or they're they're too high on themselves. I, I've seen that with Iowa basketball. I, I don't think this football team in particular has that kind of attitude. Right. Did want to ask you, uh, you know, taking Iowa out of the equation, what has really um, kind of stood out about what you've seen from the Big Ten so far? And the, the East. Yeah. <laughs> I did not yeah. expect that at all. Yeah, the Big East. Uh, you know, you look at last year, uh, Michigan was two and four, and uh, they were lucky they didn't play Ohio State and Iowa to end the year. They would have gotten beat by 900 points in my eyes. And, and uh, you know, Michigan State was two and five. I saw them lose 49 to seven at Kinnick, and, and Penn State lost its first five and then went five and four, and now all three are in the top ten. I did not expect that. I thought Penn State would rebound. I thought. Uh, Michigan had the opportunity to get better. I wasn't sure if this was as good as they would be, but, and then Michigan State, I had no idea. So I would say kind of on the flip side of that, I've been just as mystified by the West teams falling, and in particular Wisconsin. I did not see Wisconsin being as mediocre as they played, especially on offense. That, that's just not been good at all. And, and so, um, you know, Minnesota last year struggled a lot on defense. They've gotten better there, but the injuries at running back are probably going to prevent them from being a, um, you know, maybe they get to a bowl, but not much else. Nebraska, it's just 
flabbergasting to watch how they invented ways to lose over the years. Yes. <laughs> and this year in particular, but, um, you know, Illinois looked so good in the opener and then, and then it's looked every bit as bad as you might have thought going into the year. So, uh, it, it's just, it's, it's been a really strange wild ride and, and I anticipate at the end of the month, if we kind of, if everybody gets there kind of on, um, unscathed, I mean, you're going to have Michigan versus Michigan State. Penn State at, at Ohio State, and then in the West you'll have Iowa at Wisconsin the same day. So you could have some really interesting games that really dictate the tempo of the final month of the season. All right. Well, uh, Scott Dockerman's been our guest uh, on today's uh, Boilers Extra podcast. We appreciate him uh, stopping by to talk about Iowa and the Big Ten. Uh, it should be a good game on Saturday. These games are always kind of close, so you know they. I would I would anticipate that happening again. Uh, but anyway, Scott, appreciate your knowledge, appreciate your insight. Thank you very much, and we look forward to seeing you on Saturday. Okay, thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Well, once again, thanks to Scott Dockerman uh, for joining the podcast, giving us the details about Iowa's uh, strong start at six and zero. Obviously, the favorite uh, right now to win the Big Ten West. You know, when you start looking at their their schedule coming up after Purdue on on Saturday, and you know they're favored uh, to win the game uh, on Saturday. So, um, you know that obviously puts them in the uh, uh, position to 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 stay undefeated um, if they can, you know, take care of the Boilermakers and, um, and and things like that. But I mean, their schedule is is pretty favorable. Uh, you know, the rest of the year. I, I believe they're they're done uh, playing their the their their East teams because uh, they they have played Indiana they played Penn State they played uh, they played Maryland so they just have West opponents here coming up now they do get Wisconsin coming up after their their off week uh, on the thirtieth that will be at Wisconsin they got to go to Northwestern uh, they get Minnesota at home they get Illinois and then they uh, they're at Nebraska to close out the regular season. That's not a murderer's row type of schedule there. I mean, there's no ranked teams there right now. Um, there are some trick there. There's a, you know, a couple tricky road games, which I would say Wisconsin and Nebraska, uh, assuming that Nebraska continues playing as well as they have and they have played better. It's a much different team, uh, Nebraska than it was that opened up the season against Illinois. Uh, but anyway, I mean, you could see why Iowa, uh, all of a sudden jumps into the favorite category to win the Big Ten West. But they, any slip up there, any slip up in the, in, the, in their last uh, five games or so, or six if you count Purdue, you know, kind of brings them back to the pack and opens the door up for for a lot of other teams, including Purdue, if they would happen to beat Iowa on Saturday. But it would open the door for uh, Minnesota, open the door uh, for you know maybe a Wisconsin uh, to. Uh, to, to get back into the, the West conversation. Um, but I mean, it, but it will be, it will be interesting to see, uh, how this all plays out from an Iowa perspective because, you know, I, right now they're ranked second in the country. And, um, tell me the last time that a team ranked as high as Iowa was last in its conference, in a Power Five conference, was last in total offense and last in yards per play. But yet they're six and zero. They're undefeated. They're ranked number two in the country. So they've done it a lot of different ways. Now, 
The question is, can if they get in a shootout, can Iowa keep up offensively? You know, if the, if the defense doesn't get turnovers and the other team is scoring, not at will, but putting up points on a regular basis, can can Iowa keep up? And when you look at their remaining schedule, I'm not sure they're facing a team that, that, that would do that. I mean, Purdue should be the team that could score uh, based on, you know, Jeff Brom's system and throwing the ball as much as they do. I mean, Purdue should be that team that potentially could put up 30 on Iowa. But you would look at the way, way Wisconsin is playing right now. They don't, they don't look like that team. Obviously, Northwestern doesn't look like that team. Minnesota doesn't look like that team. Illinois, as we mentioned on the podcast, hasn't scored a touchdown in two Big Ten games. Um, Nebraska could be that team. Um, they, 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 you know, they scored 29 points in the second half against Michigan. Um, and if, uh, Adrian Martinez can hang on to the ball and not have turnovers or Nebraska doesn't make silly mistakes, they could be a team that could put up 25 to 30 points uh, on Iowa, forcing that Iowa offense then to, to keep up with them. But I mean, the schedule is definitely favor, favorable for Iowa to, to win the Big Ten West, win the Big Ten West going away. Um, and then they take their chances in the, in the Big Ten championship game, but still a long way to go in the season. A uh, lot, lot can happen. We've seen a lot of things, uh, change quickly. One loss can flip a season. One victory can flip a season the other way. So I'll be curious to see what happens. Uh, as far as from the Purdue standpoint coming up on Saturday, um, you know, they're going to get pain. Uh, they're supposed to get Payne Durham back, the tight end. I think that will help. Uh, if the Boilermakers get, get down in the red zone, uh, and he's, uh, he's obviously a, a big target in the red zone and they, they missed him the last couple games. Uh, so he's expected to play. Corey Trice, uh, the talented cornerback is expected to play. Uh, so that will help, help produce defense, uh, right there. Uh, Xander Horvath's still probably a week or two away from, from getting back on the field. But from all indications, progress is make, being made. You know, from a quarterback standpoint, you know, Brom will probably see two quarterbacks on Saturday, and they're not a. It's not a two quarterback system. We'll probably see two quarterbacks. Um, you know, Aiden O'Connell is expected to start, uh, but you know, as I've I think as I've said and written many times this year, you know, I'd like to see Austin Burton in some some more short yardage situations. We saw a little bit of that against Minnesota, but also like to see him in some red zone situations where he runs more than one play. Um, you bring him into the game, and I know people know what he's going to do, but Minnesota did the same thing. Minnesota brought in their backup quarterback, and I don't think he's thrown a pass all year. Uh, Oregon State did the same thing. Um, other other teams have done it. Uh, Michigan did it against Nebraska. I mean, it's it's being done, and just because other teams are doing it doesn't mean Purdue has to do it, but I do think Austin Burton brings them a different dimension that Aiden O'Connell and Jack Plummer cannot and that is uh, the dual threat capability um, and being able to throw, um, being able to, to throw and run a read option or just run a normal option or, you know, run a quarterback bootleg or, or keeper. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I think Purdue needs to pull out all the stops it can so when they get in the, the red zone again that they, that they can score some touchdowns. And if Burton gives them that 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 capability, then you've got to put him in there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how things shake out on Saturday. David Bell's had a great 
two games against Iowa in his career. Each time he's caught 13 passes, uh, you know that they're going to be paying attention to him. You know, as we talked on the podcast, uh, Iowa's kind of, you know, done a better job of taking away the deep ball uh, from Purdue the last couple times. Um, and but we'll see what uh, what Jeff Brom has up his sleeve. They don't, as Scott mentioned, they won't have Riley Moss uh, at at one of the cornerback positions. So there'll be somebody different there. Does does Jeff Brom go after him? Uh, you know, how do they attack that that Iowa defense? And as we talked about Purdue's defense, it's much better. It's playing well. It's going to need to play well again. It needs to, it needs to force some turnovers. It really does. This is a game where they really need to, to get a couple takeaways and put their offense in a good position to score. Uh, and then they're obviously their offense has to protect the ball and they can't have turnovers if they plan to win this game. All right. Well, we appreciate you stopping by and, uh, we'll be back after the game on Saturday to, to recap what happened. Uh, and, uh, see what see what transpires in Iowa City on Saturday. Thanks again for stopping by and have a good day.